Hello, good morning and welcome. My name is Michael Dawson from the Action Factory and this is the Solution Focus Toolkit and a very, very happy Monday morning to you. Uh, as you know, I always say that because you are our ideal client. You have got the greatest job in the world. You are working in social care, residential care, policing, healthcare, helping and supporting your clients and we get these podcasts out for you um, at least for Monday morning. So that's that's what goes on in my mind anyway. Um, remember, we are the Action Factor. We are not here to make you therapists, but to not, not make you therapists. We want to break down the solution focus model and rebuild it in a way that works for you. You do not work in a therapy room. You work in a classroom, a youth club, a residential home, or any of those settings. So as you can imagine, There are some things we need to talk about before you consider going forward with the solution-focused approach. There are 10 big considerations. I like to call them my top 10, and I'm going to run down them now, and here we go. Okay, so these varied environments mean that the solution-focused model seldom transports well without some work, and that can be a bit of a challenge. As you know, if you've done our training, uh, if you're on the front line as a frontline worker, there are a lot of differences. One of the key things I always say when we do our training is you do not need a problem to be a solution-focused worker. I'll say that again. You do not need a problem to be a solution-focused worker to help your clients move forward in their lives, whether your clients be young people, teenagers, senior citizens, etc., Okay, so here we go. I'm going to run down what I think are the the kind of top 10 differences that we need to think about. And uh, the first four really come into what I call the big four therapeutic factors. And I want you to imagine a therapeutic situation where there has been a 100% positive outcome from that piece of work. There are four big factors that will play a massive role in that according to this research okay so number 10 this is what i call extra therapeutic factors this is what the client brings to the session in terms of social and personal support this accounts for 40 percent of a positive outcome now as a talking therapist i've very little if any influence over this but the key here is that you might as a residential worker Uh, I kind of hoped that I had some influence over my clients' life events, over the circumstances and the events that wove in and out of their lives. And if this is the case with you, then I think you've got a small advantage over what you would call a traditional talking therapist. And your influence could run much deeper than you think. Now, think about, I remember turning up at a youth club uh, many, many years ago with a can of Coke. And one of the youngsters come up to me and said, you shouldn't be drinking that, it's bad for you. And I knew that the team had been working on nutrition recently and it had clearly shaped this young girl's worldview. So what role do you have that shapes the worldview of your client? Are you a key worker? Are you someone that's central in their lives? This is a huge advantage for you. Um, And should it shape their lives? Perhaps it should. I know from being in care and working in care, you know, there were bullying campaigns, nutrition education, exercise classes. These are all about helping our young people have a slightly different worldview. 
So that's worth thinking about and asking yourself and your team those questions. If you're gonna if you're gonna use the solution focused approach within your work, remember the influence that you've got over their lives. Number nine, relationships. Now, the same piece of research highlighted the relationships accounted for 30% of the positive outcome. Now, this helps the client's participation, the working alliance that's developed. And in a therapeutic sense, the relationship between the therapist and the client has got to be developed pretty quickly. And the way we do that is first impressions, small talk, perhaps even reputation. But imagine from a solution-focused worker's perspective, there may already be a relationship in place. And dependent on your role, this will almost certainly impact on whether the client approaches you even in the first place. In the case of policing, then that relationship could be global, i.e. the client's relationship with the police and general trust or mistrust in general. So if they hold a negative view of the police, then you've got the ability to break that mindset. So in the case of residential or youth workers, it's all in your day-to-day practice. As a kid in care, um, you know, I remember we'd ask each night, you know, who's on shift the next day? And we'd either sigh or cheer, dependent upon who that member of staff was going to be on shift the next day. So think about this. Um, what kind of client influence do you have? Do your clients trust you? Are you professional in your dealings with others whilst your clients are around? Are you non-judgmental? Are you an engaging personality without bringing personal issues to work? All that kind of thing. That has a massive effect. Number eight, expectancy, hope and placebo. This accounts for 15% of a positive outcome. Now, as a therapist, this is built into the role and the solution-focused model. It demands that we work in a positive and engaging way, and we give that impression that we hold faith in our clients' abilities and coping strategies, and this feeds into the client's expectations. They feel confident they are with the right guy. That's why they came to see me. I'm a therapist, I've got answers, and you go and see the doctor when you're ill because he's the doctor. And, And this increases placebo and expectancy. Some of the research uh, uses this following quote. The client is served best when the therapist is future orientated and assists in the belief of the possibility of change. If you know anything about solution focused therapy, you know that is it in a nutshell. Okay, the client is served best when the therapist is future orientated and assists in the belief and the possibility of change. That is us. So having decided to work in a solution-focused manner, and especially if this is taken up across your service, that this is a definite yes. And in our training, we're always quick to point out what we call the natural solution-focused person. Now, these are people we gravitate to, the ones that make a problem feel smaller, the ones who lift us when we're down. These people are not necessarily trained in solution-focused therapy, but that's what they're doing. It is that simple. Are you one of them? And can, can we help you get closer to that? So as a group, we would ask you to consider, does your service operate a solution-focused model or even a solution-focused positive outlook? 
Are you positive in your clients' communications? Are you non-judgmental and respectful with clients? And do you avoid offering the right way to do things and empower your clients to move forward? Number seven, the technique or working model. The technique or model you use accounts for the final 15% of a positive outcome. And I'll point out that this means a model, not the model. Any working model in your team will account for 15%. And that's because it gives structure to what you're working with. And um, it doesn't necessarily condone which model you use, but basically having a structured approach when dealing with troubled clients um, an individual or service should have a defined working model to work from. Now, the model provides a roadmap for the workers that is consistent across the service. And secondly, it doesn't leave staff to muddle through on their own and hope they did the right thing. So you've got to ask yourself as a group, does your service work to a fixed therapeutic model of any kind? Are you conscious of your interventions with clients? Is the service offering a consistent approach? And has your service adopted a roadmap, not a policy, a roadmap for client interventions? The working model that your team chooses is important to you and your clients. So think about it. It could be solution focused, but it could be any other working model that goes straight across everyone in the team. Number six the problem itself. You do not need a problem to be a solution-focused worker. That's what I said. You do not need a problem to be a solution-focused worker. However, you do have to consider the various levels you'll deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, in my working life, I've witnessed varied client problems landing daily, for example, as a drug worker. And I've also worked in roles where the issues are more low-key and transient, such as in youth work. In residential or social work, you might witness the development of the problem before it really needs signposting and manifesting. So, as a group, you should be asking yourselves, what are the typical issues that you face? They are generally the same when you really think about it. They're very, very common across your service. This is what I've always found. Um, and are these issues transient or are they deep-seated or ongoing coping mechanisms? And remember, stealing something from Richard Bandler, the developer of NLP, every problem was once a solution to another problem. Stop and think about that for a moment. Every problem was once a solution to another problem. Wonderful quote and so insightful. And you think about anything that's going on in your own personal life right now, that's probably true. <laughs> um, so take a moment as a team to discuss the typical issues that come up within your service and you will find they are fairly common and you could put some armaments in place to be ready to tackle those. Number five, session formality. A talking therapist and their client have an understanding there will be some formality. If you come and see me, appointments are made, timing is agreed, um, in your working environment, this is not always possible. Your so-called sessions could be a young person chatting in a kitchen at a youth club. It could be a general conversation. There's no need to grasp for a problem or work out how to help. One of the things we teach in our training is that we shouldn't be looking for an issue 
to own or to solve. And as a solution-focused worker, you'll, you'll have no need of the formalities offered to a talking therapist, excepting of those based on the fabric of your work. So what I'm trying to say there is that although someone coming to see me can come at three o'clock and stay for an hour and then come again next week, that is not going to work for you in a youth club. So remember, you don't have to look for problems or own problems uh, in any shape or form. And that includes follow up afterwards, as we would in a traditional therapy session, because you are a solution focused worker. You are not always going to get credit for the work that you do. And it's the same with a solution focused therapist. We call it leaving no footprints because you're the guy they spoke to and they say, oh, yeah. I had a chat with her and I just feel better about myself. I feel like I've moved on a little bit and that's all I need. And often I compare that to, you know, being at the top of a hill and you be the guy that just pushes the sledge, okay? And the rest of it takes care of itself. You will not get credit. Number four, rules of engagement. As a talking therapist, I have a set of rules of engagement right from the beginning of my intervention. So it may well just be something like, I just want to explain that our conversation is entirely confidential. However, however, if you tell me anything that could be a danger to you or anyone else, I may have to share that information with others outside of this room. You will see me taking notes, which are entirely for my reference. You can see my notes at any time. You only need to ask etc etc now in your service there are almost certainly procedures and rules and these are likely understood at least in principle by your client group and it will be within this context that you have all of your conversations with your clients but it's worth as a team having a chat about what is your policy on confidentiality how does that fit with a solution focus work what is the procedure when a client requests private or off-site contact? Are you able to refer or signpost either with or without the client's permission or knowledge? And at what level would you keep your client informed of your rules of engagement? Very, very important. As I say, they are usually built into the youth club, residential home, etc., etc. But very, very important to consider those. Okay, number three, time constraint. Again, within the scope of a talking therapy session, there's an understanding of time constraint. If you have an appointment with me, we can generally say it'll be half an hour to an hour and start and end at pretty much specific time. And then we can set a pace for the conversation and move forward. Now, as a solution-focused worker, there are no official time constraints on either side. A, a client can abruptly end a conversation as it makes progress, or perhaps wish to keep the conversation going way beyond any progress. They may simply want to sound off and you may want to move forward. And it may be it's you who wants to continue the conversation beyond its usefulness. So could you often be managing multiple clients and are unable to commit fully to the issue? So again, do you have a procedure or an idea in place for those kind of can we talk scenarios? You know, have you learned from our training to kind of let go of the issues your client faces? Are you able to dedicate time within your workplace to a single client? And if not, how are you going to decide?
to cope with that. Okay, issue number two. As a therapist, my place of work is generally my therapy room. It's designed to be relaxing, calm and comfortable. It meets a client's expectations of meeting a progressive, solution-focused therapist. Your workspace will be very different. It might be a youth club where young people are noisy, having fun and quite boisterous. It might be a residential home, a police station or a hospital ward. The restrictions within the workspace can make it difficult to work in the way you'd like. And I have experience on a hospital ward where the doctors have taken up a side room for a meeting, meaning my work just couldn't go ahead. And the need for privacy is not always essential because these conversations might take place in public or even involve the input of others. Even though your input is solution focused, it might still be a group conversation centered around an individual and the group may not be a solution focused group. So how do you deal with that? Do you have the facility that can be used for private conversation? What's the general atmosphere of your workplace? Is it positive or negative? And what are the general ages of your client group and how does this affect that particular location you're working in? Number one, pre-session information. Now, in a therapeutic sense, we'll always have background information from the referrer, even if it's the client themselves. And this tells us the age and idea of the problem and what the issue might be. It's not necessary to know these details as a solution-focused therapist, and it acts as a slight disadvantage. Most often, my service demanded that I read this information, so I do entirely uh, agree. But as a therapist, I find it has the potential to contaminate any preconceptions despite all the work we do with client assumptions elsewhere in our training. And I say that after going uh, to work with two young boys at their house and meeting the grandma first. And I make no exaggeration when I tell you I was expecting um, two boys like maybe Damien. <laughs> um, she literally said to me, they will set fire to the house if you turn your back on them. They will burn you to death because, of course, we were, we were staying at the house so that they could stay at home while Nan was in hospital. That was what I was told. These these boys were unbelievably the opposite of that. They were the sweetest kids I've probably ever worked with. Absolutely fantastic lads. And I worked with them for maybe two or three months. So, yeah, as a professional, you may find that this information is also very informal. Now, it could take the form of your experience with the client and similar clients from the past that you've worked with. You may know them. You might know their demeanor, their likes and dislikes, as well as general lifestyle. So you may have already invented misconceptions about them. So, uh, you know, you might simply have experience of similar, you know, worries, uh, such as an illness on a ward where you've seen lots of clients come through. Some of it's contaminated by you. So, in order to help you with that, of course, we have the client assumptions section in the training. But you've got to ask yourself, what kind of assumptions do you already make about your client group? How good or bad is the quality of your background information on the clients? How much of that can you wipe away before meeting with a client or engaging with them? So it's always an advantage not to hold any preconceptions and to work to 
what we call the uh, the prime assumptions in solutions focused work. Okay, that completes my top 10 considerations when you're thinking about bringing the solution focused approach into your workplace. And I hope that as teams, before you call someone like me and get to work on this kind of training, that you consider those kind of things and see how far you can adapt this model before moving forward. And then we've got the tools in place. Okay, that's the end of today's uh, podcast. It's great talking to you. You can, there'll be a link around here somewhere. If you click on the link, you can sign up and you can get a PDF of the information that I've just given you. It's a printable PDF. You can drop it on the manager's desk, stick it on the notice board, or just catch up with the notes. So that's it. That is the um, solution-focused toolkit podcast. My name is Michael Dawson. Thanks for listening. Do stick around because in the next episode, would you believe after everything we've said today, we're going to be talking about what's wrong with solution-focused approach. What's wrong with the solution-focused approach? Really interesting. Looking forward to it. Catch you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.